so far talking about relationships because they make life happen. Uh, you can have the greatest job but in all the money in the world, but if you've got nobody to share it with, it's kind of pointless. You know, it's why funerals are so difficult. It's because we have to say goodbye to somebody who matters to us. Uh, relationships can be some of the, the greatest things. Like they say, you know, if you do marriage right, it's like heaven on earth. You do marriage wrong, it's like hell on earth, right? Like it's, uh, it's that, um, it, it's that they, they have that, that great of an effect. And friendships, I mean, they affect all of us. Um, so th- originally I was going to title this message, Dealing with Difficult People. But then I realized, really, there, there are very few difficult, like really difficult people um, out there. Uh, that would mean if we said there's difficult people, that means that they can't change at all. But we know that with Holy Spirit and, uh, and an openness to Him, anybody can change. Uh, anybody can grow and, and uh, change with Holy Spirit's help. So I can't really say they're difficult people, but there's people with difficult behaviors in our life, yeah? Any, anybody have anybody in your life that's got some difficult behaviors? There's a police officer who's going to school. He's, uh, he was being in training, and, and one of the questions they asked him, like, um, what would you do if you had to arrest your mother-in-law? And he didn't skip a beat. He was like, I'd call for backup immediately. You know, it's like he, he knows he's got, like, some, sometimes there's difficult um, people in our life. And, and we, we all have people in our life that makes things difficult. You know, for maybe I'm just going to read a list and maybe just, you know, mentally check off the ones you think might be a part of your life. But, you know, maybe it's a condescending parent. You thought, oh, this was just for adults. Maybe it's for kids. No, don't poke anybody. That's it's all good. Just in your head. All right. You know, maybe it's a rebellious child. Get her back. There you go. Uh, egotistical boss. You know, maybe it's that uh, leadership challenged manager. Maybe it's the negative coworker. Schoolyard bully. You know, an estranged family member? Or maybe it's that nosy church member who's sitting right beside you tonight. There you go. You're good. Maybe, maybe it's you. You know, you know, if you're one of these people here tonight, and you're like, you know what? I, it just seems like everybody in the world is screwed up. Like, I'm the only one. And, and, and I mean, I, I'm, I've got it together, but like, I got issues with like everyone. I would like to say if you have issues with, you know, if you're A and you have issues with B, C, D, and E, and N, F, and G, the issues with A, right? So, so you might be the one here tonight, and we spoke a whole message on that called The Strongest Link, so we're not going to do that one again. But so, you know, maybe you're looking at it like, yeah, hey, I've got all those people in my life. Then you're probably the problem, just saying. But if you've got one or two, like all of us or most of us do, tonight is, um, tonight is for you. But, but I, I want to talk about something tonight because I, I believe that sometimes it's bigger than that. Sometimes it's not those pain-in-the-neck people that we have around us that drive us nuts and we just try and stay away from as much as possible, even if they're our spouse. But um, it may be for you, it's something much different. Maybe it's someone who you really, really love, and they struggle with something that's, that's destroying their life or very difficult for them. Uh, and maybe, maybe for you, it's, uh, it's more, it's more of, a, of a difficult thing because you really love and genuinely care about this person and want relationship with them, but that relationship is extremely difficult. But my, my heart tonight and my prayer for, for us is that, that we would change going through a difficult relationship, uh, that Holy Spirit would change that into growing through a difficult relationship. Because uh, some of those things, we can't, we can't lose the relationship. I, I know that there are many here tonight who struggle or have struggled with things like uh, alcohol or depression or anger, uh, pornography, being a workaholic, uh, drug abuse. Uh, and there's been incredible stories, incredible um, people, uh, uh, testimonies of how God has set people free. And, and I believe that. But today I want to focus more on, on maybe on the people who are, are in relationships with uh, those who are struggling or with those, you know, you're in a relationship with somebody who's, um, who's, uh, who, who's, who's making life difficult for you 
And, uh, you know, I, I, I got to say, you know, it's, it's a sensitive topic to talk about. So tonight, you know, it's not saying anything about the fact of if there's abuse in a relationship that you should stay. That's not there at all. Uh, but what I do want to look at tonight is what God just says, uh, principles that he has in his word for, for relationships. Uh, it's not a complete list. There's no way I could talk about every one of your relationships in, in any kind of detail. So tonight what I want to do is just share a few principles from God's word that um, are just going to be knowledge for you. I want you to take them at face value just as knowledge and to pray about them. If something kind of uh, uh, dings in your heart and it says, wow, that could be me, to just pray and say, God, is this wisdom for me? Is this what I should be uh, using? And then uh, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. That's what it is. So as, as we believe for that tonight, we'll give you a few things to, to take some notes on, um, uh, unless you're, you're just just darn happy with how um, dysfunctional your relationships are, then don't take any notes. But if you've got relationships, you're like, I wish this could improve. Believe me, some of these things, they're, they're not my words, they're his. They can help. So um, what I want you to do is just turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. So if you're, if you're kind of new to the Bible or, you know, you weren't raised in a CRC school where you did the, um, you did the sword drills and there was competition to find it, maybe it's a little, takes a little bit longer, but, but uh, that's okay. It's, it's, it's the sixth book in the New Testament. So if you kind of flip towards sort of towards the back. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then there's Acts. And then there's this book called Romans, and it was written to the Romans. So um, it is um, in chapter 12. We're going to kind of spend a little bit of time there tonight. But I want to give you a couple thoughts, maybe, I don't know, five or six points uh, that when uh, that you jot down. Number one, in your relationships that uh, you're, you know, if you're growing through a tough relationship, I want to challenge you with this thought. Change only what you can change. Or change what only you can change. Um, there's, a, there's a prayer for many of you who are familiar with any kind of recovery group. Uh, you may have heard of the serenity prayer. Anybody want to join me in saying it? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things that I can. And wisdom to know the difference. There's things we can change. There's things we can't. Uh, that, that's just the first part of it. But in Romans chapter 12, I want you to take a quick look at this. Um, here, I'll get there too. Where did I say that was? Yeah. Romans chapter 12. He says this, So dear brothers and sisters, I, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that um, he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So he's talking about this idea of relationship with God and worshiping God. He's like, you think of yourself as a living sacrifice. And then it says this in verse 2, Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, uh, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, every single relationship that you're in is made up of two people. At least two. You and someone else. So, you know, in science, if you ever did science class, you know, back in the day where you make the volcano uh, out of paper mache, and you got to put two things in there. Anybody know what two items you put in it to make a volcano explode? Yes, vinegar and baking soda. And if you put those in there every single time, it is going to explode. Anybody know um, what you can put uh, Mentos in to make them explode? Diet Coke. It's got to be diet. But yes, you put that in there. Anybody know how to make dynamite explode? What do you do to the wick? Light it. Yes, and we're not going to talk about any other kinds of things that you teenagers could uh, destroy. So, but the thing is, if you put, yeah, exactly, don't do this at home. If you, um, if you put those two ingredients together, they are always going to react that way. 
So if you're a husband and wife who always fight and you two stay the same as you always are, you are guaranteed going to get in fight after fight after fight because the ingredients, you know, put the same two ingredients together, it's going to end up in the same kind of result every single time. So, you know, how do you, how do you make sure the volcano doesn't explode? Right. Change one of the ingredients. You put water in there instead of vinegar, it's not going to explode. You change one of the ingredients, and it's the same in relationships. The thing is that you can never change the other ingredient. You know, as, so much, as, as much as you women would love to change your husbands, <laughs> it's not possible. Just give up. I know we tell you never give up. I'm telling you, give up. Stop trying because you cannot, you cannot do it. But, you know, there's this, there's this thought that we want to change people, but the, the, the Word of God just says that the one person who can change is us. And if, if, if you become the ingredient that changes in an explosive relationship, the, the relationship doesn't explode anymore, and you'll see why. Uh, it says this, don't be conformed to this world. Don't fashion your life after. So basically it's like saying, you know, when you, when you look at somebody the way they dress, you're like, wow, that Mark, he dresses really cool. I'm going to get a blue T-shirt like that and, and jeans with the right rips in the right places. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to fashion my life after him. I want to dress like he dresses. That's kind of what they're saying about the world. Don't look at how the world deals with conflict and say, I'm going to do it that way. You know, I saw it on Desperate Housewives, how they deal with that. I'm going to do that. See if that works. You know, there aren't going to be four other housewives on your, like, on your street that are going to, you know, pick, pick, pick you up after that. It's, it doesn't work that way. So he's saying, don't, don't, um, don't do what the world wants to do. The world loves to fight fire with fire. That just is the way, the way things uh, happen. But he says, don't be conformed like that. He says, don't become like that. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does transform mean? Transformed is like you are one thing and you become something completely different. Anybody seen the movie Transformers? There you go. Look, a bumblebee. Um, that's a bumblebee on the one side there and a sweet car on the other. Two totally different things, same thing, uh, same, same, uh, same guts, same idea for us, that we would, we would become completely different than we are. And you know what? It, you know, Second Peter says that, that it's, we have the chance to have divine nature. Most of us, we respond with human nature uh, to things. And he's saying, you know what? Think like I think. Uh, if you can get your thoughts the way that I think, and, and you're like, well, how do I think like God? Just read his word. You know, put his word in, inside, and you'll begin to think like he thinks, and you'll begin to uh, respond the way he responds. So my, my challenge to you is, if you're in one of the, those relationships, change the one thing you can change, and that is growing to know, growing to know God and know, know him, know whose you are, and, and to get that on the inside of you. And this is never-ending. I still have to do this myself. You know, I've gone through John's, you know, 25 or 30-day challenge, and I'm doing it again. I'm just those words that keep being sent to me to say, this is who I am. Do you know who you are? Do you know that you're unconditionally loved here tonight? That means doesn't matter what you've done before you got here, you're loved. Do you know that you are completely forgiven for everything you've done and everything you're going to do? Do you know that? Do you know that, that, that you can have everything on the inside, all those needs met by, by God? Are you still like kind of empty and looking everywhere for stuff? Um, Sometimes, especially for guys, it's tough because we have this mechanical uh, paradigm. We think mechanical. It's like, you know, the truck's broken. You know, find out the part that broke. Go buy that part. Fixed truck, truck fixed. Works great till you try it on your wife. You know, wife's broke. Some part must be broken. Figure out what part is broken. Go buy the part. Fix wife, wife fixed. It just doesn't work that way. But we want stuff so instant. And, and, and Jesus was saying, it doesn't work like that. It works like agriculture. Plant a seed. And you water that seed and you wait long enough, it's going to grow and you'll, you'll see it. So he says that same thing 
uh, before he starts talking about relationships, he talks about the most important one, yours and God. Let that transformation continue in you because that is the best opportunity for your relationships uh, around you to be changed. So number two, be offensive. And not offensive in like, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a tough relationship. I'm going to be offensive and drop a whole bunch of four-letter words on them. And, they, you know, I'll tell them, but I'll tell them where things are at. It's talking about being, being offensive as being opposite of being defensive. You know, sometimes it's like we feel the attacks of, of the relationship we're in. And it's always about defending ourselves. And, and uh, you know, the Bible just says that, that for us, there's this opportunity to become offensive. And it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, if you take a look down there, he had talked previously about, you know, relationship with God and then relationship with church people. But then he starts talking about the, the other relationships in our life. He says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. You know, persecute, you're like, oh, that's cool. Bless those who persecute. Do you know what persecute means? Persecute actually means to the people who drive you away, the people who harass you, the people who make trouble for you in any way. Do you have any of those in your life? You know, your parents make trouble for you in many ways. You know, maybe it's your kid who makes trouble for you. Maybe it's your boss who just, you know, yes, I see those hands. But you know what it says? If you've got those people in your life, bless them and not curse them. Speak words of life over them. Pray that God would bless your parent. Pray that God would bless your child and make, and, and, and make their life a, a, a life worth living. You're like, but that sounds so backwards to like the way we would normally think. If someone's messing with us, we're going to mess with them back. Um, but this, this person in Romans, Paul, he's quoting Jesus when, when Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, do we have that up there, Matthew chapter 5? It says, you've heard the law that it says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, now it says this, but Jesus is saying, love your enemies. Well, man, my parents were bad, but, you know, there's that bully at school. You might think that they're the worst person you've ever met. He's saying, love them. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who are making your life miserable. It says, in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. He says, you know what? True children of God, they look different. He says, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that. And this is if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans or heathens or people who don't know God, they, they even do that. It says, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And you're like, oh, that's perfect. You know, I can't be perfect. You know, I know it. But he's not saying perfect. He's not saying perfect as in you never screw up, you never mess it up, you never, you never sin. He's saying perfect is complete. He says, just that you would be complete in knowing God, and in that, that's all you need. So you don't need anything from anyone else. Sometimes we end up in relationships that are, that are really destructive because we need something from them. And, and that's a dangerous place to be. He's saying, just get everything you need from me, and, and then you can have the chance to actually have a relationship with another person where you can be a blessing to them. So number one, change, on, what, you, uh, change what only you can change. Uh, the second one is, uh, what did we just say it was? good. Be offensive. The third one, be supportive. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 and 16, and he keeps going and says this, be happy with those who are happy. Well, that's easy. Then he says, uh, and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, and don't think you know it all. You know, happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who are weep. Basically, he's saying join people in their journey. And it speaks of it in a supportive role. He's not saying join people where they're at. You know, oh, my spouse is depressed, so now I'm depressed. You know, or my buddy's struggling with drugs, so give me a joint. You know, it's, he's, not, he's not saying go to the level where they're at. He's saying support them. 
And, and don't, think, don't think you are beyond the struggle that they're in. Sometimes these people who really mess with us, we think we would never be like that. There's a guy way back in the day named John Bradford. He said this famous, famous quote, but for the grace of God, there go I. That could have been me. I, I could be that person if it wasn't for God's grace. And you know, the thing, the thought in this where he's saying, he's, say, he's saying, look at people this way. We're highly motivated to judge people based on what we see. Just take a look around tonight. Take a look. Quick, just take a quick look. See all the people here? Uh-huh. They're all different. Did you notice that? Some are louder than others back there, you know. Some are prettier than others, you know. It's just this, it's this thing. But, you know, we're highly motivated to judge people based on what we see. And the Bible just said God, he doesn't show partiality. It means he doesn't see anybody different than anybody else. It's like he reigns and lets the sun shine on both sinners and saints. So people who pray for the weather, you're both going to get the, you're both going to get it answered, whether you're a sinner or a saint, because he just, he does it for both. Um, but he says this, he says, look at people and see their intrinsic value. See people as valuable just because they're a people. Uh, you know, not to look at people for, for their wealth. You know, we could look around here and go, wow, the wealthy people, yeah, those are, those are the cooler people here. He says, don't look at that. Don't look at wealth. Don't look at race. Don't look at their looks. Don't look at their age. Don't look at their gender. Don't look at their accomplishments. Don't look at their IQ. Don't look at whether they're awake or sleeping. He says, don't look at any of that stuff. He says, simply look at, um, you know, look at people for being people. Uh, Good-looking people get treated better in life. I'm living proof. Beth gets treated way better than I do all the time. You know, uh, uh, and, and I'm tired of it. I think that's got to change. Um, but I, I saw on Anderson Cooper, I saw it on YouTube, this, uh, this video where they had these hidden cameras, and they put these two girls out uh, on the street. One was, they called her homely, and the other one was like this knockout blonde, right? So they put them both on the, on the street with a, a car with a flat tire, and they, they, they just decided they would watch for an hour and a half how many people, not just guys, how many people would stop to help. Did you know that the better-looking person had three times as many people stop to help, and they were there three times faster than, uh, than the poor other girl? And we're like, no, that wouldn't be us. Well, they blurred out your faces, but I thought I'd recognize a few of your bodies out there you know, uh, in this video. But you know what? It, it's, um, it, it's true. It's true about us. And he's saying, don't live like that. Don't see people uh, any different. I love that about Kingsway because we don't. The, you know, the statistics say that one out of every three people is, uh, is good-looking. So take a, take a look quickly to your left and to your right. If those people aren't good-looking, you're the good-looking one. All right? So, <laughs> uh, but but what, what we're saying tonight is that if you would understand that you're unconditionally loved by Christ, that means you don't have to look at anybody else. Uh, you don't have to look down on them. But it also saves you from looking down on yourself. Such a powerful thought, and I want to share this with you tonight, is that, you know, if, you, if you're in a relationship with someone who struggles with addiction— Listen to this so, please don't miss this thought. There's, there's this idea of seeing people for their value and for who they really are can save you big time. Number one, uh, you're not the problem. If, you, if you're living with somebody who struggles with addiction, you are not the problem. Even if they say you are. So many, they struggle with thoughts, if only I was better looking, if only I was more supportive, if only, you know, I was a better person, if only I had done things right, th- this person would have, you know, not be so angry, not be addicted, not doing these things. That The truth is, you are not the problem. And there's some freedom for people here tonight in that. Um, it, it says, you know, the, the thought is that, that the outside of us never determines the inside of us. 
Never determines it. You know, you could go to bed at one in the morning, wake up at five because your two-year-old wakes you up. And you'd be like, you know, that last night you say, I'm going to bed, I'm going to have a good day tomorrow. And then your two-year-old wakes you up and you're just like furious, like, oh, you little rotten little kid, you ruined my day. Well, they can't ruin your day. You know, there's something on the inside of that person. So I want to let you know that you are not the person. Uh, you are not the problem. There's a thing called codependency. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard of it. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty big buzzword around uh, our culture. But it says it's allowing the actions of others to determine your feelings and, your, and the choices that you make. Everything about you is based on how they're going to respond or how they're going to react, what they're going to do as a result of it. You are not the problem. The second thought is you're not the savior either. You're not their problem, but you're not their savior. Uh, you know, sometimes what happens in a relationship like this is you, you, you feel so bad for them, you want to fix them, but you can't. You can't fix anybody else. We've learned that already. But what ends up happening, you become consumed with their issues. And the thing I want to just encourage you with is the only thing you can do is point them to Jesus. He's the only Savior that they, that they have who can actually make a difference in their life. And I would, I would challenge you, if you're in a relationship like that, to continue pointing people to Jesus. Now turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll just keep going, finish this off. It says, never pay back evil, in verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I'll take revenge and I'll pay them back, says the Lord. Uh, and then he, he says one last thing, but I want to just stop there for a second. You know, in the, in the New King James, it says, be at peace with all men um, if possible. Meaning that it's not going to be possible for you to be at peace with every relationship that you have. Why? Because there's another person in that relationship that can uh, make some different decisions. And there's a whole other thought on that we don't have time for today. But it says this, as much depend, as depends on you. He puts the ball in your court and says, as much as it depends on you, um, you li- decide to live in peace. He says, never pay back evil for evil. Meaning that evil's already been done to you. So now is your opportunity to respond. I, I think he would also say, you know, hey, don't start the ball rolling with doing evil to somebody just for the fun of it. He didn't like that either. But he's saying, you know, if evil's been done to you, you've got a chance, a choice to make. He's talking about responding. And for some, you'd like, you know, you're spiritual and you already get this. And you're like, yeah, well, you know what? They're going to reap what they sowed. You know, and I'm going to help them reap what they sowed. You're not helping because you're not, they're not actually reaping. You're sowing, which means it's going to come around. And God's the one who says, I'm the one who's going to be in charge of all the reaping that goes on around here. If someone wrongs you and you realize on the inside who you are, then you can let that thing go and allow, allow God to deal with things um, that are happening in, in, uh, in your life. It, any of you heard the term revenge is sweet? Yeah, sweetest revenge. Uh, you know what? That's the, that's the way our world would love to think, that revenge is going to feel so good. Well, in 2004, they decided to do a brain study on this topic and see if revenge actually feels good. So they wired up these people's heads. They let them have the feelings of revenge and, and go through and actually live out what they were going to do. And they, what they realized is it does. It actually feels good for a minute. People love the fact of getting revenge, and, and, and they learned a whole lot of stuff through this study. They learned this, that, that all of the research that they did shows that men, you're more prone to taking revenge than women, and that you enjoy it a whole lot more than they do. Well, you'll wait and see. Men are, for, are far more likely 
to take revenge in almost every area. Work, sports, driving, etc. Men are going to uh, take revenge much more often than women. Uh, it, it, the, uh, we used to play hockey, and I told you about this. I used to play hockey in the church league, and then they called it tomahockey because I took uh, like my hockey stick and I tomahawked my brother-in-law over the head uh, with it because um, it, he uh, he hit me. But it was this. It was he did it first, right? But I decided I'm going to respond and I'm going to get even. And and it. It felt good for like a split second, then I realized everybody's watching me, including my wife, and it was like, it was terrible. But, but that happens to me a lot, because when I'm driving, if people come up behind me, if you follow me home from church with your high beams on in my rearview mirror, it makes me really mad, especially if I'm going 100, and you're going like 100 as well right behind me. So I'll let you pass, but as soon as you pass, you better believe, I don't care how fast you're going, I'm coming up right behind you, and I'm going to let those high beams go right in there until, until, uh, I might even go off a different path just because. And Beth would sit by me, she's like, Mark, seriously? Seriously? Like, this is not worth it. I'm like, it's worth it. It's worth it. And, and you know what? It feels good for a minute, but then it's not worth it, right? At the, at the end, and, you know, it is. And some of you are like, look, at, I would never do that. You women, it's true. You probably wouldn't. Because men, for us, revenge is quantity. The more, the better. For women, it's quality. You women will do crazy stuff. Like, it's even worse. It's devious. You know, you'll put, like, like pepper, uh, you know, peppering in, in, in men's food. Or, you know, you'll, like, put X-lax in his, you know, his coffee. Or you'll rub it, the toothbrush on the, on the uh, toilet and then put it back in the holder. You know, you'll do stuff that we would never dream or think. I'm not telling you any more of what they wrote because if Beth listens, I don't, she doesn't need any more ammo. But um, the, the, the whole idea is this revenge. You think it's going to feel sweet. This, uh, this woman who wrote the book, uh, her name is Claire Gilman. She wrote the book called Revenge is Sweet. But in the end of it, she even writes this. She believes that revenge is never the answer as it ultimately leaves you feeling unhappy because you've stooped to your offender's level. I'm like, well, that's what the Bible says, you know. <laughs> Thanks, Claire, but that's what the Bible has talked about for so long. Do you know what it, the cool thing about it is? That God's watching. When evil's done to you, he's noticing. He's giving you the opportunity to respond in a couple ways, saying, hey, don't take revenge. You don't need to. Leave that up to me. And he says, for that, there is a reward. What could possibly be the greatest reward that God could give you uh, by not dealing with revenge? Sure, take a stab at it. That's pretty good, but you don't go to heaven for that. What, any, any other thoughts? Maybe. But what are you missing out on by taking revenge? That very relationship that you'd hoped to save. The chance you'd have to have a relationship with somebody, the chance to have a healthier relationship is there just because of the way you respond. And the, and the, and the last thing here, it, it says, uh, let me just read this first. Romans chapter 12, verse 20 and 21. It says, instead... If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And now you're like, finally, you know, here we go, God. Let's get those suckers, you know. I'll do good stuff if it's going to, like, burn them. You know, this is, I can do this. I can get with this. So my, my last thought for you is start heaping some coals of shame on their heads. Uh, it says, and the last thing, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. One of the things we, we learn about the Bible is in our Bible studies on Tuesday nights is that the Bible, uh, it's, um, it reflects the word. Do you, do you have the verses from Proverbs chapter 25? Proverbs 25 is where he came up with this. It says this, if your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. We heard this before, just, just a little bit. He says, if they're thirsty, give them water to drink. And it says, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads and the Lord will reward you. So you could look at that and go, wow, it's in the Bible twice. It must be true. This is, this is good. You know what, Mark? Thanks for this message because now I know. I've been wronged. I'm just going to do good things to them because God's going to get them. But if you think about the context of everything we've just talked about, it doesn't really fit that way. 
It doesn't really sound that way. So what are, what is heaping coals of shame on someone's head? Well, the, the whole idea of shame is not actually written in there. It just says heaping coals on their heads. Uh, and it says this, this idea of if you've got enemies who are hungry, feed them. Well, there's a story in the Old Testament of a guy named Elisha. And so Elisha is a prophet, and all of a sudden there's this, this country of um, Aram, and those guys, they're mad at him because he can hear what the Lord says, and he tells his, he's telling the king, hey, they're going to attack you here, and so he doesn't, they don't go there. So he's like, he's like this spy. He's like Snowden or whatever, that Edward Snowden guy. So they're, they're like ticked at him. So they send all these, these guys to go get Elisha. And what happens is they arrive at Elisha's house, and, and he lives out everything we just saw. Elisha, it says he knows who he is because he sees with this army of men around him, he sees that right behind that army is a spiritual army of horses and chariots that these guys cannot see. And the second thing it says that he does is he prays for them. He prays for all these people who have just come to take him, dead or alive. And guess what happens? Because he prays for them, God moves on his behalf and he strikes them all with blindness. Then Elisha walks out the door, and you can read the 2 Kings chapter 6. Read it later. It's great. He walks out the door, and he says to all those guys, he's like, who are you looking for? And like, we're looking for Elisha. We can't find him. He says, you're looking for, you know, you're in the whole wrong town, man. That guy, Elisha, I know, I, I know where he lives. Come with me. So Elisha leads the whole army of blind people into a garrison, which is a big, you know, a big castle, big building with all of the other army guys there. And he leads them into the middle of the thing. So now they're stuck inside the walls. They got archers all around the whole outside of the walls, ready to shoot it all, like shooting fish in a barrel. It, it's simple. He's got, he's got them all there. And then he prays for them again. God, let their eyes be opened. And so their eyes are open and they're in shock. They're like, where's this dude, Elisha? And he's like, I'm right here. And the king of that garrison says to him, so he says, all right, Elisha, what do we do? Do we just shoot them all? And and Elisha says, no. He says, here's what you do. He says, go get all the best food you have right now and cook these guys the most amazing feast they've ever had. And they're like, are you for serious? He's like, yeah, cereal, man. That's what we're doing. So they go out, they cook this amazing feast. They feed all these guys. Elisha's like, hey, if you still want to shoot me, I'm right here. And they're like, no, man, we're good. They go home, and it says they leave them alone. They stop raiding their territory. Why? Because he did exactly what we're learning in, in the New Testament, is that he, it, it really what he did is he heaped, he heaped coals of fire on their head. The, the whole term of heaping coals of fire is this. Back in that culture, they would hang around. If they went to church like tonight, they would have a fire because it's cold out there in the desert. They'd have a fire here where everybody was staying warm. And uh, at the end of the night, they would take coals out of the fire, Put it, in a, put it in a thing. They said a lot of times they'd carry a ceramic bowl of these coals on their head, and they would carry it home to their house to bring warmth to their family, to be easier for them to cook their, or to start their cooking uh, fires and whatever it was. It was this whole idea of blessing. And they had, they had burning coals because those ones would last longer. So there was this whole idea of, you know, in doing this, you're actually blessing these people. So do good to them on purpose, and it will bring things in there. Well, what is it? What does it do when that happens? It finally shows somebody who may never have known what grace really looks like. You, you, may, you may heap burning coals on their head that just warms them to friendship with you, that just wears down that, that stuff inside them. Or they realize, man, I, if you're a husband, you're with me on this, where you realize if you've ever done something really, really stupid and your wife doesn't hold you accountable, like doesn't make you uh, pay for it, it's like you realize grace and you realize, man, I deserve like worse treatment than this, and yet I don't get it. It changes something. It softens something in your heart, and that's the way God works. And God can use those moments to do what the very last verse said. Don't let evil overcome you, but overcome evil with good. You might be in a relationship that's got some tough stuff, some toxic stuff, some evil stuff. Don't let it overcome you. You know, I love that word, let. Because it's like me and my daughter Reese. We just I just taught her thumb wars. She's six. Anybody ever done that? You know, like uh, 
one, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war, bow, kiss, fight. Well, you know, as we fight the thumb wars, you know, I let her win. She, I could take her every single time. I just want to crush her spirit. But, you know, the, there's no competition between me and her. But what's it say? I have the opportunity, the ability, and the option, the choice to let her win. He's saying the same thing for you. You've got all the strength of Holy Spirit on the inside of you that you can let um, things happen. He says, but if you let evil overcome you, you let it. It didn't just overcome you. You let it. You played a part in that. So he says, don't let evil overcome you, but overcome evil with good. How do you do that? It all goes back to the first verses we were at. And I just want to end with that tonight. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He says, and don't be conformed to the world. Don't think that they've got it and that if you do what they're doing, it's going to work for you. He says, let, your, let yourself, let your person be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Start getting in God's word and saying, you know what? I'm tired of having relationships that are, that are struggling. I'm tired of having relationships that are, that are not going the way that, that I had always hoped or dreamed. And, and my, my, I guess my prayer for you is that you're up to the challenge to, to, to do the work of what it may take to see that change happen in you. That tonight we'll leave this place and, and stop looking at us, at, at our lives as we're going through such tough and difficult relationships that we'd look at and go, you know what? God, I'm growing. I'm growing through these difficult relationships because you're changing me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for Romans and that book that was written all those years ago, but it still matters today. Uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what we talked about at the beginning, that you would put into the heart of each person here the parts that are for them. If it's your word tonight for them, may it just ring so clear in them that they are able to take that and do something with it. I pray for relationships in this place. Uh, God, I pray that as you are the center of relationships, you just draw people closer to one another. I pray for marriages here tonight. Pray that there would be restoration. I pray that there would be strengthening. Pray that there would be genuine love uh, flowing in, in those relationships. I pray for friendships here tonight. Pray that they'd be strengthened and, and, and the bonds would grow only grow stronger. And Father, above all, I pray for those tonight who are in difficult relationships in places where they've lost hope uh, or they're running out of it. I just want to thank you for your word that says that even in the bad times, you have not forsaken us. And I just pray that that comes alive in people's hearts, that they would be able to live those out and see, uh, see you do amazing things in their life. I uh, thank you for your freedom. Uh, it's because of that that we're here tonight, because of you. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross, for uh, restoring the relationship that, that was wrecked between us. Love you a lot, especially for that. It's in your name I pray. Amen.